0: Welcome to the author's show of Entrepreneurship and Regional Development Podcasts. Each publication in our journal is a great opportunity to share significant and audacious contribution to a large audience. My guest today is Eric Clinton from DCU Business School in Dublin, Ireland. He published an article entitled Entrepreneurial Learning, the Transmitting and Embedding of Entrepreneurial Behaviors Within the Transgenerational Entrepreneurial Family. He co-authored this paper with Maura McAdam, Jordan Robert Gamble and Martina Brophy. It has been published in Entrepreneurship and Regional Development issue volume number thirty three, issue five and six, a journal edited by Taylor and Francis. Eric, welcome to our podcast. Can you tell us what is the origin of your paper? Why have you decided to address this particular topic? And what is the question you aim to answer?
1: Vincent, thank you for having me. Um, So this topic, um, it doesn't matter if you're in France or Ireland or Spain, Italy or wherever you are in the world. My interest is in long-lived, multi-generational family firms. So... In my country, we have family firms of second, third, fourth, right up through 10th generations. And it's to try to understand how these family firms have, for many generations, continued differently. So maybe it's passed on from father to son, or father to daughter, but it's been multiple generations and every generation has taken the business and potentially gone into a new region, a new market, a new product, a new service, but there's been change. And how this all came about is through a, a fantastic project called the STEP Project. And STEP Project looks at successful, you'll have to excuse me, it's a bit of a mouthful here, but it's successful transgenerational entrepreneurial practices, which is fundamentally, as you'd expect, is to look at long-lived surviving family firms. And myself and many co-authors across the world and colleagues and good friends at this point, we study family firms in our respective regions. So we've gathered data, for example, here in Ireland and there's countries across the world that have done the same. So the beauty of the project is to, to understand, for example, my country and the heritage and the ethnicity of Irish people, but then to look at how does it compare and contrast to people maybe in Mexico, France, Spain, or any parts of the world. So where this project came about from was through the STEP project. So we are Irish partners or members of the STEP project, and we gathered data on long-lived multi-generational family farms, and we were interested to see that exact thing, that they 've been entrepreneurial that 's it 's almost in their dna it 's in their blood if you kind of if you cut them down the middle this entrepreneurship is part of who they are and, and what they are and what they stand for so but we were really trying to see how does it get transmitted and how does it get embedded in the, the family or in the next generation and then even then, how does it get involved or embedded in non family members in a family firm so that's really what our interest was is to understand you know, how does entrepreneurship get passed uh, in long-lived multi-generational family firms.
0: What are the main contributions of your paper?
1: So what was very insightful about this paper is we looked at how collective learning happens. And just take a step back and anyone listening to this, is to think about how does collective learning, what does that mean in a family firm? If we take firms today, let's say a non-family firm, you've got you know senior management, you've got middle management, and you've got employees, fine. But in a family firm, the collective learning can be from, if I'm, for example, the current generation, maybe my father sits on the board who's the chairman, and maybe my grandfather who's retired, but is still involved in the organization. And, I get you go, right, my grandfather maybe has left the business. But from when I was a very young age, from maybe being a child, my grandfather was a very influential character. So the learning process in a family firm, it doesn't just start when you enter the workforce. It starts through from a very young age, going to family dinners, weddings, funerals. The kitchen table is the boredom. So there's a a conscious and a subconscious learning development in multi generational. Family firms. So, what we're interested in, one of the key contributions is to see how the collective learning process happens. Um, And we see or we're understanding how not just learning, but entrepreneurial learning. And when you look at these long lived family firms, there are critical incidents, there are trigger events where the family isn't faced with a decision. Like to, to speak about one of the firms, one of the firms we have is a multi-generational family firm, as you'd expect, but they had a fire. 100 years of the family business. So the, the current generation, their grandfather started this business. They woke up one day and it's like, whoa, everything, everything is destroyed. I'm like, what do we do? So it's understanding how critical incidents in a family firm, whether it's an illness, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a civil war, whether it's a famine, and the influence, because the family has, has a major decision to make a major strategic decision to make. And it's understanding how that sensitive period, that critical incident is informing the current generation, but the subsequent generations thereafter. And you talk about legacy, you talk about heritage. We talk even about values in family firm. And sometimes the question, where have they come from? How did they get materialized? But we look back at these big stamps or these, critical incidents in a family firm. And that's one. So the first one is to understand the role of critical incidents and how entrepreneurial learning gets embedded in the family firm. The second aspect or the second contribution then is to understand the family entrepreneurship angle. So Mm -hmm. let me just give you a little bit of insight to that. We're particularly interested in this study about a TEF. Now, a TEF is a Transgenerational Entrepreneurial Family. The unit of analysis is the TEF. So the TEF then says it's, it's it's the collective of the family investments, not just a unit of analysis, maybe a firm. We're looking at the, the collective. So the family ownership group fundamentally is, is the unit of analysis. But we were then interested to see that the learning process can be bidirectional and multi-generational. So let me just say that again. It can be bidirectional, for example, father to daughter, and there's a learning, a reciprocal learning relationship. And then it can be multi-generation so they can skip generations so we see that there and it's it's this incredible we talk about like familiness and we talk about something that's very idiosyncratic and distinctive to a family firm maybe it's the knowledge they have of making whiskey or the knowledge they have about producing wine in your beautiful country of france like the knowledge these 10 15 20 generations of french family firms have about producing wine that's idiosyncratic and that's one of the things we we're looking at and the third thing and I have to say this for me was one of the most interesting aspects of this paper was to understand unlearning. So it's all about, right, fine, generating new knowledge in learning processes. But what about knowledge, which is, I don't mean knowledge or or insights which are counterproductive, but maybe not in the best interest of the business or the best interest of the family. How do you start to unlearn processes or practices or behaviors that have been formed across many generations. So, three aspects we looked at. We looked at the collective learning and the embedding. We looked at the bidirectional and co-participation, and then we looked at the unlearning processes.
0: What was for you the main theoretical or methodological challenge in addressing such a question?
1: Yeah, so I could give you many. It's kind of like, where do you want me to start? Um, if i'm being honest the the main methodological challenge i'll take that one first was with these really old firms so for example if you look at the paper case b um i won't say who they are but it's a it's a family firm that was established in 1785 so you're like oh this is an old firm this is seven generations so our challenge was we did longitudinal interviews as the interviews were spread across multiple years and we did follow-up interviews and we followed what we hope is best practice in interview undertaking interviews. But we're kind of, you know, you hear about something that happened, maybe it's in a civil war in my country, which happened in the 1920s, or maybe it's the impact of the World War War, um, on, on the family, or maybe it's later, it's the oil crisis of the 1970s. And you're trying to see, I want to know more. And I want to almost triangulate this data. So for me, the, there was a relatively steep knowledge or learning curve. we It was true a business historian here in, in the university. We started to look at archival data. And this was like, whoa, this was an incredible experience for us. Because you talk about we were getting access to newspaper art, footage. We had access to radio production or radio footage. Uh, we had company reports through the company's register so for me the methodological challenge was how do i triangulate or corroborate the interview data with archival data (laughs) then a big challenge thereafter was we have so much archival data you're like talking about oh my god we've at one count with 345 archival sources so you have newspapers and you're like so then you have to then go through a process how do we start to untangle this how do we start to code this and so that, for me, was very insightful, very time-consuming, but equally, that at the end, very rewarding.
0: And during your research journey, what was your biggest surprise or maybe the most counterintuitive result?
1: Um, yeah, I think that the most counterintuitive was the unlearning and the ability of these family firms to unlearn behaviours or deviant behaviours or behaviours that weren't in the best interest of the family firm. One of the key mechanisms that came across in three of the the four cases was the role of non-family or what the research would typically speak about as trusted advisors and the role of the trusted advisor in putting maybe its governance structures into the, the business or governance structures into the family but it was the mechanisms by which the family could have often an open honest and frank conversation without fundamentally tearing themselves apart is to say this practice this procedure this behavior is no longer in our best interest so how do we start to potentially re-educate our next generation members or divest a particular aspect of a business if, if that's the case so the understanding of the unlearning and for me as a family business scholar I think this is I think this is a really interesting, it has been explored. It's not to say it's an unexplored area. That's not fair to say, but we don't know enough about it. Uh, Kidwell did a piece from an imprint, imprinting perspective where, where they, they do something similar. But uh, for anyone listening who is maybe a junior scholar, I would suggest looking at the unlearning practices is very, very insightful, especially because we talk about path dependency. These are old firms. So something, a practice could be there for 50 years. So, it's really difficult to change a 50, you know, five decade practice. So, uh, unlearning in a family firm was one of my uh, most enjoyable but interesting perspectives.
0: What are the main implications of your work for entrepreneurs, family business, managers, or practitioners in general?
1: Yeah. So, this one I think is, I think for a practitioner is to, to start to read, look about, more about the concept of transgenerational entrepreneurship, and I tried to see as I open this conversation. But entrepreneurship is in our DNA, and it's who we are and what we do. But it's to see how families put these structures in place to allow them to continue entrepreneurship across generations, and then to see the role of not just critical incidents, but for for practitioners, sometimes you reflect in life, not just a business. You got how do I get to where we are today and the values we possess and the way we do business and our patterns and structures and behaviors? If you look back across time and you look at the critical incidents, I can almost guarantee you that that would be a trigger point and something has happened. Maybe it's a situation that was a fundamental fire in the business. Um, Maybe it was a situation... We had a... uh, one of our other papers uh, in, on it uh, looked at the role of illness. Um, we've, in, in my country, uh, I won't go into too much detail, but just to give you a snippet of it, um, we had a situation many people on the call might have heard the troubles in Northern Ireland. Um, so you had political tension between Catholics and Protestants, fundamentally. But as a result of that, you had family firms that were stuck in the middle. A family firm maybe is a Catholic Ethnicity or family firms of a Protestant ethnicity, and some of the behaviors they were projecting, maybe the support of a church, maybe it's support of a political organization, was having detrimental influence on business operations. So the long-standing support for a political organization or a religious organization or a community body had to change. You're like, whoa, this is very deep, because the family's influence. On the business potentially was going to have a significant detrimental impact on the operations of, of, the, of the business. So the other one I would suggest is the role of the trusted advisor. Um, I, I, this is really key in our, in our business and as a family business scholar I really don't like, you hear, you go to practitioner conference and you hear, oh we need to professionalize our business. I, I don't like that term because it's almost somewhat disrespectful to a family firm to say, oh, you're not professional. Just because you're bringing a non-family guy, you're now professional. That's not correct. If anything, is the, it's the formalized. It's probably a better, more accurate aspect to it. But the role of the trusted advisor, especially in the – because entrepreneurship is, yeah, it's there. It's who they are and what they – because the risk profile is pretty high, but there is a need to have the structures. So if it's the opportunity, the forum to have an ownership conversation, the the opportunity to have – communication between the ownership and the board or the ownership and the family so the role of the trusted advisor is fundamental in longevity of a transgenerational entrepreneurial family
0: thanks a lot Eric, for participating to our show all our podcasts are available on entrepreneurship-erd.com and on the main podcast platforms